It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advance B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and today we are joined by Gia Laudi who is the former VP of marketing at Unbounce and in this episode we're talking about how to build a kick-ass marketing team in B2B SaaS. So Gia was the first marketing hire at Unbounce and witnessed firsthand the growth of the company including the marketing team as she went from being the all-round marketing superstar and transitioned into a leadership role where she was managing and developing a team of marketers. So Gia shares the story of how the Unbounce marketing team grew and there are a host of really valuable takeaways regardless as to whether you're a SaaS marketer thinking about how you can develop your own skills and career, a VP or CMO leading and growing a marketing team or even a CEO thinking about how you should develop your marketing function. As ever, stay tuned to the end of the episode where Gia takes on our Fast Five Challenge. So here is episode number 26 of the Growth of Podcast with Gia Laudi. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub Podcast and welcome to the show, Gia Laudi, co-founder of Forget the Funnel and former VP of Marketing at Unbound. So Gia, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, yes, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to have you here. And today we're going to be talking about how to build a kick-ass marketing team in B2B SaaS. And you know all about this as one of the first employees at Unbounce where you got a few numbers here that I would like to run through. So you helped grow revenue by 900% in your first three years. You went from under $1 million in ARR to over $15 million in ARR without any major funding. And last but not least, you scaled the marketing team from one to 35 people. And we'll hear more about that story throughout the episode. But I think a good place to start, could you describe the situation at Unbounce when you started working at the company? And what did the marketing team look like back then? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was early days, but there was no marketing team. Um, so there was, Unbounce was, is in a bit of a unique situation. They had six founders. Um, wow. So they were able, yeah, they were able to operate for, I believe it was almost two years with only those six founders. So there was no marketing team per se. When I joined, um, there were 15 employees at the company and Ollie Gardner, one of the founders had actually started, had been sort of slated as the marketer among the founders. And he had started blogging and producing some big content, which had, um, it had started a sort of community or an audience for Unbounce even before they launched the product itself. There was a blog and there was a sort of active community there. And he was this like prolific writer. He wrote like big content and really long, huge, epic blog posts. Uh, so when I started, that was this sort of the, the marketing had begun, but there was no marketing um, department or, or team per se. So when I joined, um, my focus was on basically taking what had been built so far and taking it to the next level. So a couple of the marketing efforts that had already been sort of experimented with, it was, you know, obviously scaling those and then of course running, you know, new marketing experiments for new channels and then building a team around, you know, the, the, the efforts that worked essentially. So that was my 
uh, that was why I was brought in was basically to to amplify what was already there. Yeah. So when you're starting out to build a marketing team in SaaS, what kind of person should founders be looking for in their first marketing hire, like yourself at Unbounce? Mm-hmm. I get asked this question all the time. <laughs> Insane. Um, but it makes a lot of sense because most founders of tech companies, most, not all, but most don't have a marketing background. So they, uh, they're, you know, it's, it's less obvious who they're looking for. Um, if they don't have that sort of experience in their back pocket to pull from. So that that's, I'm assuming why this question is so common, but Um, As far as skill set is concerned for a a first marketing hire, the answer, unfortunately, is it depends. Um, If you're... If, if you're trying to attract a like low ACV customer, for example, you might want to find a marketer who's experienced at generating demand or building self-serve or low-touch experiences, um, more inbound focus. High ACV, you'll be looking for somebody who's more focused on like quality prospecting or building a more like white glove or high-touch experience. Um, and that type of marketer would, would work super closely with sales, obviously. So skill set aside for a second, because there is such a variance in what marketing strategies could work for, you know, different, uh, SaaS platforms. But overall, I'm, I always come back to these, a a few core things that you should be looking for. And And this list is by far not comprehensive, but overall you should be looking for, um, the, the marketing skill set of what you think will work for your product fit audience, but mostly you're looking for generalists who are not afraid to roll up their sleeves. I mean, if you don't have marketing experience and you haven't started marketing yet, I err on the side of generalists who are willing to do the work just because they need to be the ones, they're going to be the ones to figure out what's going to work. Um, so they need to be comfortable with experimenting uh, across a lot of different marketing channels. So generalists tend to do, you know, be better in in that regard. Um, People who are really, really resourceful. um, And so, you know, they're not only willing to do the work themselves, but if, you know, they can't do the, if they can't do it themselves, they'll find somebody who can like hell or high water, they will find a way to get stuff done. Um, Also people who have, and can look at the business with an entrepreneurial lens. And so resourcefulness speaks to that, obviously, but also the ability to fiercely prioritize what they're working on is another thing that um, is really advantageous. So one of the examples, and actually I, I myself was a consultant prior to joining Unbounce in this role as the first, you know, and I air quote marketer, um, at the company, I was a consultant before. So I was think I was already of the mind where I was fiercely prioritizing my time. I was being super resourceful. I had only me to rely on. So I was very comfortable with doing the work. And I was also very, uh, weary of wasting any time because as a freelancer, you cannot waste any time. Every minute of your day is accounted for. So I went in with that lens. And as I, you know, as I help companies hire their first marketers and as I was hiring uh, marketers myself, I was always looking for that, like it's not a gene, but you know, that sort of entrepreneurial gene um, and the ability to really fiercely prioritize uh, 
only high value sort of activities. Another thing that is often left out or forgotten or overlooked or not prioritized that I think is so, so important is that these people need to be able to advocate for themselves. And I say that because in the reality of working at a tech company as a marketer, can be sort of bleak for some marketers, right? So these, these tech companies that it's all about the products, all about the engineers, all the budget and all the focus and all the onus is on the product and the engineers and the development of the product. And, and I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to approach it, but marketers can often um, fall short a little bit on the priority list um, there's less budget allocated for marketing resources or professional development, uh, or experimenting because the prioritization is always on the product development. So you need somebody who's going to, as your first marketing hire, who can advocate for marketing and advocate for themselves and advocate for their future team. Um, and so they do need to be somebody who is comfortable, um, you know, advocating for themselves, communicating value and uh, sort of, I don't want to say standing up for themselves because that sounds adversarial, but they do need to have that. Uh, they do need to be comfortable with that. Um, last, well, actually not lastly, but someone who's comfortable with chaos is kind of a, a necessity as well. Right. So it's, it's easy to overestimate people's comfort level with chaos, the, the inevitable chaos uh, of startups. And so, you know, I've seen, I've seen pricey, you know, AKA experienced people join startups to figure out a couple months later that it's just not for them. Um, so being okay with things changing quickly, um, roles and responsibilities being always sort of in flux, uh, you know, having, you know, hair on fire sort of situations, um, is the reality of working at a startup. So somebody, your first marketing hire needs to be comfortable working in that environment as well. And then lastly, I will say plays well with others. Um, diplomacy and empathy go a really long way when you're in that chaotic environment or when I used to say all the time, like I, I'm like a chicken with my head cut off. I, for, for two or three years there at the beginning, it was, it was go, go, go all the time. And if if I hadn't had a good rapport with my teammates, I, I wouldn't have lasted. And so thankfully there were, you know, amazing humans around me and, you know, they made me a better human, but like playing well with others is really a requirement as well for that, that first marketing hire. I mean, that's a, I mean, it's not only about marketing hires, obviously that's sort of, this list could be probably applied to any department, but in marketing, it can be, it can be additionally challenging um, to advocate on behalf of marketing at a, at a product driven company. Yeah, absolutely. And as you then start to grow the team, do you, would you recommend bringing in fellow resourceful generalists at first, or should you already start bringing in targeted and expert specialists in certain areas of marketing? So one of the things that I, I looked for early on, um, because I was of this, I know I'm at a startup, these things are moving really quickly. I was always kind of looking six to 12 months out. Um, and I was imagining in my mind's eye what this department would need to look like in six months, 12 months, you know, 24 months, 
from now. And so I was looking for mostly generalists, but I will say that I was looking for that, you know, that infamous T-shaped marketer. So people who were smarter than me with deeper knowledge within a certain area, but well-rounded enough that they were also people, people, um, and, and, you know, uh, likable team players, resourceful, all those things that I was listing before were really important pieces for me. Um, I was looking for people who I believed could eventually lead a team of their own because I was, I had this org chart. I, I actually, I, I was going to say I had this org chart in my mind, but I actually physically created org charts of what the team could look like in six months out, 12 months out. And so I was always sort of thinking in that way, which actually made hiring really great because it's amazing to say, you know, it's amazing to promise growth and like a future team if all goes well to somebody that's really, really motivating and it, it makes, you know, attracting top talent a, a lot easier. Um, so my, if my wager was right, if my, if my wager that this certain discipline of marketing was going to be effective for me, then I knew that um, they would need to build out a team of their own. So, uh, Additionally, with a few exceptions, I mostly hired on the mid to senior level uh, sort of side of things. Uh, so generalists who, again, smarter than me, deeper knowledge than me in certain areas, but also had the capacity to, um, or I, I thought they didn't necessarily have to have experience with this. Obviously, experience leading a team was great, but they didn't have to have a ton of experience leading a team. Just I, I needed to sort of trusted my gut on the fact that they would be able to do that in the future. So early days, it was, I'm looking for early leaders, really. Yeah. And then as the team scales up, what do you think are some of the must have skills and core competencies for a marketing team in B2B SaaS? Um, honestly, uh, the, the skills and the competencies remain pretty well the same. So resourcefulness, Comfort with chaos, uh, you know, even more mature companies, and you know, this is the sort of, it's it's the, a bit of a catch twenty two because you be like, oh, startups are so chaotic, but I know a lot of people who work at corporate and large companies that it is still chaos at big companies as well. So it yes. doesn't it doesn't change. Like, you know, none of us have it figured out. You know, very very few companies can or departments and teams can confidently say they've got their, you know, their shit figured out. So, um a comfort with chaos is still very important even as you're beginning to scale, if, if anything, there's more, there, there's more chaos because team members get added responsibilities, get sort of split off and people start to wear fewer hats and not everybody does so well with that. So, um, you have to have a comfort with that. Fierce prioritization is still the name of the game. Um, advocating for themselves and for others becomes very important as well as their teams grow and playing well with others becomes even, you know, even more important because there's more people involved and there's more people to, um, share a vision with and share a focus with and, and, you know, align with overall. Um, I'm also a firm believer that skills can be learned. So I never didn't make a hire because a certain skill set wasn't there. 
um, it wasn't, it was never a reason not to hire someone. So I was often more concerned with making sure that people were moving in the direction that they wanted. So I was, I was often asking, you know, what do you enjoy doing the most? What do you like doing the most? Where do you, you know, what do you want this role to mean for you in your larger sort of career? What do you want this to, to sort of, what role do you want this piece to play in your, in your career? Where do you want, where are you now and where do you want to get to? And let's talk about how to get you there. Yeah. So my team also had a professional development budget, dedicated professional development budget quite early on, not as early as, as some of the startups I'm seeing now, which I'm very happy to see that earlier stage companies are prioritizing professional development budget, but we had a professional development budget and also professional development time uh, allocated in our weekly calendars and the team was always encouraged to use it so skill set was never never really came into play as a deal breaker if somebody wanted to do something we would find as many ways as we could to support them to to acquire those skills and then move into those roles yeah and then also in order to scale up you can also look to work with a partner, for example. So what areas Mm. do you think make sense to have to outsource or to look for support with from a partner, for example? Yeah, this is a tough one because I I mean, it it can be tough to find, depending on what we're talking about, but if we're talking about marketing in, in particular, I love going to partners for um, project-based things um, where I have a, the, the scope of work is defined. So I, I'm, I'm a fan in outsourcing temporarily. So for instance, if you wanted to experiment with a new marketing channel, um, but the resources internally just aren't there, but you have to move forward because you're, you're in this, you know, fierce sort of growth stage and you, you have to make progress and the numbers need to be there or the company's closing tomorrow. Uh, and so you, you have to move on these things and you have to find out whether or not certain channels are going to work for you. Finding contractors or, uh, partners to work with to fill those gaps can be really, really effective. I remember early days, I couldn't get the dev resources to execute on a, on a website redesign. And so we went out, so we, we went out of house uh, to get that done. And I never would have been able to get it implemented if I hadn't done that. But eventually, those are the types of things that we should be able to do in-house. Same things with things like, like content marketing. That's a very popular thing to outsource. I would think in the early days, if the resources don't exist internally, and you, this is a marketing channel that you truly believe as a marketing leader or as a founder, you truly believe can have an impact on the business and not having the internal resources shouldn't be the reason you don't do it. Um, but you do need somebody to manage the relationship and that's hugely, obviously important. And you have to account for that need in house, but it's not a reason not to do it. And so going out, how, out of house for, uh, or outsourcing for, for things like, um, content marketing, paid acquisition. I outsourced paid acquisition for a while uh, because I didn't have the resources in-house to do it. Um, there's, there are definitely some examples of, of um, areas where outsourcing can make a lot of sense. My overall feeling about it is that it shouldn't be a long-term um, solution 
for, for something. It should be the way to learn and then eventually you bring it back, back in house. One example I can think of that a, a longer term outsourcing solution might make sense is if you have a SaaS product and you've made the business decision to remain focused on product development, you could outsource dedicated services. Um, if that's something that your company needs to do or wants to offer, or there's a high demand for um, outsourcing something like that can make a lot of sense as well. Yeah. And of course, as the company grows and as your team grows and as the marketing department grows and you tradition uh, transition from a marketing ops role to more of a marketing leadership role, how does your skill set need to evolve with that as, as your marketing team develops? Yeah, this is a really, uh, another really common question that I get as well. And it's a tough one for a lot of people. And it was for myself, uh, as well. I actually distinctly remember this moment when I was like, when did I sign up for this? Like when, <laughs> when did I stop being a marketer? All of a sudden I'm not a marketer anymore. And there's this mindset shift that needs to occur when you go from this individual contributor role obsessed with your craft to being the leader of a department you really do turn into an advocate for the role of your department within the company and you become a champion for your team members. That is a stark contrast to being a marketer. It is just not the same thing anymore. So your days become about helping people be effective and do their best work. So you do need to know at least a little bit about everything. You should know at least a little bit about every type of marketing your, your, your team is doing, but your role is really to enable your team to do their best work and their best marketing. Um, you're amplifying what they're working on. You're removing roadblocks for them. You become obsessed with interdepartmental communication, um, strategic planning. Uh, you start developing and implementing um, processes like internal processes uh, and, and to help people sort of scale their efforts and help your team scale their efforts. Um, and you are continuously championing this a shared vision that everyone on your team is excited about because that's where everyone wants to be doing their best work. If you don't have this shared vision for your team that everybody's excited to be a part of, then people can get into a, a, a vicious cycle of not feeling like they're contributing, not feeling like what they're doing matters to the bigger picture. And they sort of can, can disconnect from their work a little bit. So so championing that shared vision continuously every day in day in day out becomes a really big part of what you what you're doing and also ironically your first priority isn't about isn't marketing it's your first priority becomes the happiness and the professional development of your team and I don't know if you have children, but it's now that I have children looking back, it was kind of like having kids in a way in that in an instant, like overnight, nothing is about you anymore. It's 110% about your team and helping them be the best they can be. So you become obsessed with people as opposed to, or sorry, you become obsessed with the people doing the marketing as opposed to the marketing itself. Yeah, totally. And when you look back on your time at Unbounce and the team you built, can you pinpoint the reasons why your marketing team was so successful and able to achieve the results that you did? Um, I'm sure there were many, many reasons. Um, the, the culture within the company is one for sure. But I will say 
in this particular case, um, we were at a we were at a pretty stark advantage, and and that is that we were marketing to marketers, um, and that is true in the in the martech space. Um, but basically, what we were doing there, we had to hold ourselves to a very very high standard, and there's nothing quite so motivating as telling your team that they set the gold standard for what good looks like. It's super motivating. It, it gives people a ton of pride in their craft, right? And, and we were. Um, you know, our community looked to us to, uh, to learn how to create better marketing experiences. That was what drove us. That was that, that shared vision that I was talking about was really about helping marketers create better marketing experiences. And that's really, I mean, when you're a marketer, there's nothing more motivating than that. Another thing that I will also say is that I had a ton of autonomy in the early days. And so my CEO, I felt implicitly trusted by him. I was never micromanaged. And that is huge uh, for a couple of reasons. But basically his sort of, his mantra was hire people smarter than you and then get out of their way. And he actually lived that. And he did it with not just me, he did it with, with pretty, pretty well everyone. Um, and it was very, very empowering to me, uh, mostly because I could be a lot more effective. My focus became on marketing and doing the best possible job I could at, you know, delivering the highest quality marketing I possibly could, rather than the constant battle of trying to get buy-in for my ideas, which is a massive time suck. And I see far, far too many marketers stuck in that rut of, I can't do, I can't be effective because I'm, I'm being micromanaged or I don't know how to get buy-in from ideas. My CEO doesn't understand. Um, I am executing on somebody else's vision. Um, you know, they, they get stuck in this spot where they know they could be more effective, but they're executing on somebody else's sort of strategy and they aren't empowered to build a, a marketing strategy for themselves, which is really disempowering and also leads to a lot of, um, uh, imposter syndrome, if I'm being honest, I see tons of marketers stuck in that where they're like, well, maybe I, maybe I don't really know what I'm doing. Cause my boss keeps telling me what to do. I keep getting told what the marketing strategy is and I'm not being trusted to do it on my own. And so it becomes this sort of, you know, this endless loop, this snowball effect of being ineffective. And it happens so much, so much to the point that Claire Solentrop and I actually launched Forget the Funnel trying to solve that problem, trying to help solve that problem because it is so, so common, particularly in tech companies where marketing is often undervalued um, and uh, misunderstood by um, um, maybe technical founders or that more product-driven company like I was describing earlier. Yeah. And you mentioned that you, you had a great founding team, which of course obviously helps with situations like this, but can you talk about the delicate role marketing plays at tech companies and how to overcome some of these common challenges, especially where, like you just mentioned, founders do tend to prioritize tech and product development over something like marketing? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot that can be done, thankfully. Um, but it, it, there's this vicious cycle starts when, um, just to, to back up a little bit, the cycle starts when founders of tech companies know they need to hire somebody to do marketing, 
and growth. And they go out into the market and look for the most senior person they can find, somebody with tons of experience because they want, you know, the best of the best. And then they realize the price tag for that person. And they realize the availability of that person is like nil. And they're like, okay, next best thing. And they go down a little bit and they, 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 they look for somebody more mid-level with a little bit less experience, but showing a lot of promise. And they bring that person in. Um, but founders are very busy. Even founders with marketing backgrounds often fall short on the support scale. But particularly founders with technical backgrounds or more product-driven backgrounds, they're not in a great position to be able to support those marketers. So that vicious cycle starts there where the results aren't there, the marketer's not supported, and it just becomes this, this like snowball like I was describing. And so if, if founders can get their marketers that additional support, and there's lots of ways to do that, but you know, they can get them a mentor, they can, get them, they can give them a professional development budget, uh, they can you know, explicitly tell their marketer, hey, you know, I recognize that I'm not the best person to support you here because I don't have the deep marketing knowledge. You know, you tell me what you need to sort of, you know, own the marketing strategy. I want you to own this and sort of pass that on. So um, founders would be sort of wise to support their marketers in that way so that those, those mid-level, a little bit less experienced marketers um, are in a better position to be able to level up and actually be effective and advocate for marketing, not only with their boss, but for other departments as well. Um, you know, many at a small tech company, it's often that engineering team is a lot bigger. Um, and you know, there might be a sales team as well. And, and it, and it just becomes hard to sort of, uh, validate or or understand why why should we be investing in like inbound marketing a blog like it just feels it can yeah. it can feel um, I don't it can it can feel like like cursory or not that important or not the highest priority or not the highest value and so the marketing the head of marketing is responsible for communicating why marketing is the driver of revenue for the company. And really it is. Um, but that person, that head of marketing needs to be able to communicate that. And if they're not in a position to be able to communicate that and confidently and build a marketing strategy around, you know, what they think can work and, and rooted in really strong customer research and a really strong, you know, st strategic sort of process, they're never going to be able to affect change at their company and marketing is always going to be this cursory mention off to the side. Uh, so, and it shouldn't be <laughs> because at a certain point marketing becomes this emergency for many founders, like especially when they start looking for additional um, financing uh, investors and advisors will often look to marketing and be like, what's happening over here? Like you need to amp up acquisition or you need to amp up activation or adoption and things like that. And, and often marketing is looked at like, you're not spending enough money over there. And then it becomes a sort of emergency. So founders are, are, are much better off to invest in the support of that early marketing hire if they can't provide it themselves. And at the end of the day, they probably can't. 
even with that marketing background because they just don't have the bandwidth. So yeah, professional development can go a long, long way um, at these earlier stage companies to helping turn these marketers into actual leaders who can advocate for the role of marketing at that company. Yeah, love it. And there was a really good quote in there, communicate why marketing is the driver of revenue. We should put that on a t-shirt or something. That's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because in tech, it's like, it's very, at these product driven companies, it's really not looked at like that. If you, you know, especially in early days, later on, it becomes pretty obvious um, that the biggest lever uh, is marketing, but early days, it's hard to look at it that way. Um, it can be a lot, it can be very hard for product focused people to look at marketing in that way, but that's the reality of it. And if you fail to invest in it early, uh, you, it ends up becoming an emergency uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, great teams are of course made of great people. So I'd love to know, like when you look at some of the top marketers you've worked with um, at Unbounce or, or in other companies, what, what are some of the common characteristics, skills or factors that connect those people? What is it that they have that perhaps others don't or, or might be missing or would need to work on? Um, I mean, there's there's lots of things, but... I'm actually, I'm, I'm really hoping that, by the way, the connection between growth or growth hacking or growth marketing and marketing, I'm really hoping these, these two areas can like figure their shit out. Um, Cause I've, I mean, I've been using the term marketing to refer to a ton of what growth claims to be doing. The best marketers that I know think of marketing as, as growth. They are one in the same. Um, part of what I would love to see happen, happen for marketers is the, the incessant obsession with tactics. Uh, I mean, tactics are great, but without having strategic vision for why the tactics are important or what tax tactics should be executed on your, all you're throwing spaghetti at the wall and this spaghetti at the wall marketing is uh, it's prolific it's ridiculous how many people just market in that way like oh we're just going to run another marketing experiment and another marketing experiment and another marketing experiment and that's all it is as opposed to zooming out getting the 30,000 foot view what is the big idea here what is the customer experience that we are trying to build for people and getting really clear on you know, that big picture, that's what the best marketers can do. Um, and I mean, if, if you can look at the company with that lens, you are in a much better and more educated um, position to be able to decide on what strategies and what tactics are worth executing on versus not. And my favorite marketers are the ones that have the ability to zoom out. And also, I mean, I, I love the details. Don't get me wrong. That's my favorite place to hang out. I am detail obsessed, maybe to a fault, but I am, I am also, I cannot focus on details unless that the big picture is clear to me and I understand why it is we're doing what we're doing every day. And that's, you know, when I, when I work with marketers who can, who can, operate in that way. That's my absolute favorite thing. Another thing that I would say is move past acquisition. In SaaS, it, SaaS is not an acquisition play. It is a retention play. And if you 
if, if your retention side of things aren't um, like if, if is it Brian before recently said like if 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 retention is your if you have a retention problem nothing else matters and it's true if your SaaS product has a retention issue nobody's going to invest in traditional marketing that it, you don't you don't spend money on acquisition when you have retention problems but marketers are uniquely qualified to solve retention problems. Um, retention and expansion marketing are, I think the coolest marketing is happening on that, in that side of things right now. Don't get me wrong. I love acquisition. Um, but I think that marketers particularly in SaaS, are much better served if they can be customer experience marketers. I mean, that's part of the reason why I named my company a better CX was that, was for exactly for that reason that marketers need to zoom out and think about the entire customer experience. How can they help generate revenue on the acquisition side of things, the adoption side of things and the retention side of things with for SAS, there is, uh, in my opinion, there is no better person to do that and be obsessed with that than somebody with a marketing, um, skill set. Uh, and that is mar customer marketing is marketing. And I believe that those two things should be one in the same, just like growth marketing is marketing. So yeah, uh, the, in, on the B2B side and the SaaS side, um, yeah, it, customer marketing is marketing is, is where I would say it would be a really wise place to, uh, invest your time. Yeah, that was awesome. So many good quotes in there. I think definitely strategy before tactics. This is also something mm -hmm. that we preach a lot here at advanced b2b and then also SaaS is a retention play and you already explored this um in that previous answer but you know where we are right now in b2b SaaS and marketing and as we move forward into the future like what do you see being the skills that b2b marketers and marketing teams will need that they don't necessarily have right now well i, I mean it depends on I haven't seen a company get this hundred percent right yet, but it depends on how your departments are broken down. And it, sometimes it can be about building bridges with customer success or customer support. Um, because largely it is marketing and customer success that are the, um, that interface the most with customers. And if those two functions of your company can operate in unison, they either become, you know, either you have customer marketing live in marketing or you have a very cohesive and tight, um, connection between customer success and marketing. Um, but again, that obsession with the customer journey and that obsession with the customer experience and building that best customer experience, those two functions, I, I'll say traditionally, like the, the marketing and customer success, those two functions, um, working really closely together in complete unison and being really clear on where, uh, on, on what each is responsible for, what each's role is for, um, uh, your customers is it's, it's a, it's a, it's a complete roadblock. If you don't have that, it's, it's a, it's a must have right now. Um, connecting those two things really, really solidly. Um, customer journey mapping is my absolute end all be all favorite thing to do with companies. And the reason for that is because it, 
it draws those connections. It highlights those connection and, and connections and those opportunities to create better, not only marketing experiences, but customer experiences. It just puts everybody in a really sort of cohesive environment to sort of think about um, the type of things that they work on. Um, and it becomes the highest value, in my opinion, way to develop uh, or define, I'm sorry, your most meaningful KPIs because they become rooted in your customers' success milestones as opposed to traditional marketing automation that becomes about these transactional moments like enter, entered credit card or you know visited website or you know liked us on Facebook. Um, it, it's if you can think about your customer in terms of meeting them where they are when they are successful then all your teams start to think about the experiences that they're building with that lens and it, that applies to more than just marketing and, and customer success it applies to product as well to sales um, a lot of a lot of um, all these cross cross-functional teams uh, or they become more cross-functional because they're thinking of the customer experience in this sort of holistic way and so that's my favorite thing to do it doesn't matter how a company is set up or what their org chart looks like if you can look at your customer in that way and have all your teams look at your customers in that way then they're in a much better position to do more meaningful more highly effective uh work yeah definitely the the boundaries of us absolutely blurring between totally traditional teams and silos so mm -hmm. that's going to be i think a big a big trend going forward yeah b2b SaaS. So, hey, that was awesome. And I think, Gia, now we could move on to the closing questions and you could take on our fast five challenge. So all I will do is ask you five questions and you just need to answer them as quickly as possible. So are you ready for this one? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I guess <laughs> well, I am. Well, we're going to do it anyway. So okay. <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> let's jump in. So the first one is, is what would be your one book recommendation for our listeners? Oh, you know what? It's a book that hasn't even come out yet. Uh, it's a book by April Dunford, who is my, uh, I absolutely love her. Um, she is writing a book. I don't remember the name of it right now, but she's writing a book all about positioning. And um, it is it is going to be amazing. I've read tons of her work on positioning and I know that this book is going to be an absolute must read. And so, yeah, can I recommend a book that hasn't even been published yet? Absolutely. It's coming out in the spring. It's coming out in the spring. She's promised it's coming in the spring. So yeah, okay, I would that's watch good. That. something to look forward to. Yeah. We're huge fans of April as well. So yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. So perfect. Second question, a SaaS company that you love and why? Oh, really? <laughs> Really? <laughs> this is hard. Oh, oh, I, this is really hard. Um, a SaaS company, I love and why? Uh, you know what? I, it's funny. I'm not even a customer, but I love Wistia. Um, and, and part of the reason that I love it is their transparency, uh, from the outside looking in, I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't have a ton of insight into how the company is run necessarily, but everybody I've dealt with at that company is just a genuinely amazing and creative person. They, they really do support creativity there. They're a little bit wacky. They have a really, really strong culture. They've grown, um, mostly organically. They've taken the, um, 
the road less traveled in terms of how the company has scaled. And I really respect that a lot. Um, I'm not a customer though. I would love to be, uh, and I probably will be one day. I'm not currently a customer, but, uh, well, Unbounce is a, was, is a customer. So I guess yeah. I was sort of at one time a customer, yeah. but yeah, Wistia is my answer. I just love um, pretty much everything they do. Yeah. And I think it's a really good example of how SaaS companies and marketing teams, if they focus on really building a brand and don't get lost in those growth hacky tactics that. Yes. A hundred percent. They're a yeah. great example of that. Exactly. Totally with you on that. So third question, one of your, or your favorite place to read about marketing in SaaS online. Oh, <laughs> that's another one. You can't and ask questions. <laughs> oh, I have so many. Um, I don't even know where to start. Um, I love reading Val Geisler who writes all about email for SAS. I think she is incredible. Um, I love reading Nicole Elizabeth Demaray. Her insights on building communities around SaaS products are, I mean, she's the best of the best when it comes to that. Uh, April Den Denford again on um, positioning. Uh, I, I read Talia Wolf, uh, on, uh, for CRO and optimization and emotional targeting. Um, and, uh, Joanna Weeb, obviously, I mean, she's, yes. I, I can't give you one answer. Sorry. I've got way, way too many here. Uh, Joanna Weeb for copy. Um, she also knows SAS really, really intimately as well. So I really do trust her uh, lens on things like to a fault. Um, I could go on and on, honestly. I don't have one sort of de facto place. I'm loving uh, Reforge Brief right now. Um, that is a recent, a more recent discovery of mine that I really, really appreciate how short those articles are, but they're really um, meaty. Um, and I, I appreciate the brevity. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Some very good recommendations there. And a couple mm -hmm. also that Claire Solentrop also mentioned on her episode of the growth of podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We, we obviously run in yeah. similar circles, Claire exactly. and I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And many of those are on our, on, on our reading list as well. So yeah. 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 So, okay. Fourth question, most mm -hmm. important growth metric. Oh, Uh, for SAS, uh, I, yeah. I, retention. Yes. Perfect. I don't think we need to say anything more than, <laughs> yeah, than uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, well, I would say, I would say a close second would probably be adoption. Um, but adoption and, and retention are, are where, um, I say they're most important because they don't get enough love. So right now they're, they're a North star. <laughs> they should be North, North star for many companies and yeah. they're not. Perfect. And then the fifth and final question, what would be your best piece of advice for our listeners of the podcast? Stop calling it growth hacking. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it depends if, 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 if it's mostly founders or marketers, my answer would be a little bit different, but for SaaS companies, I mean, invest in marketing sooner is, is this sort of recurring thing I see happening or mistake. I should say there, people are not investing in marketing soon enough. And, and, um, 
yeah, I think I really think SaaS companies, particularly in the B2B space, would be really well served to prioritize it and support the marketing function at your company earlier than what you are right now. Likely. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Hey, Gia, thank you so much for joining us on the Growth of Podcast. I have to say it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you today. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thanks so much for having me. That was Gia Laudi on how to build a kick-ass marketing team in B2B SaaS. And you can reach out to Gia on Twitter at G-G-I-I-A-A and check out forgetthefunnel.com that Gia runs alongside Claire Solentrop. As ever, let us know your thoughts. And if you have any feedback, then you're always welcome to get in touch with me on Twitter at Nordic Edward, LinkedIn, or reach out to me at edward at advancedb2b.fi. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off. Make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are sick and tired of being marketed to and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying